Hey, it's Mike from the High Hash Rate Podcast. Just want to take a brief moment here and thank Fountain.fm for really helping us grow our podcast. I mean, this has been a a fun ride. If you are not listening to High Hash Rate on Fountain.fm, we highly recommend it. You can stack sats by listening to your favorite podcasts. So if you're not a fountain, head on down and download Fountain.fm today. So data can be art. Yeah, I mean, it, it's deep. Art, <laughs> art is always going to have contain data. Otherwise, it's meaningful. Right, it's, it contains a lot of information. Art is probably the most uh, either data dense or data empty because uh, what the, nobody can agree what what's art, especially right. not now anymore. So what for you might be uh, just a piece of fruit for someone else might be a beautiful art piece. Hey everybody, this is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Welcome back to High Hash Rate. Um, to some of you will be relieved to know that we've taken away Mike's introduction privileges um, until he gets his act together. <laughs> but today, today we're speaking with Pedro, who is um, he's kind of the creator, the producer, the the mind behind the anatomy of Bitcoin, which is uh, it's actually an open source film on the Bitcoin protocol, and they create a lot of good content, a lot of good videos. Um, so definitely check that out, man. But Pedro, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be here, finally speaking with both of you. Uh, Peter, like where, where are you at in the world right now? Uh, I don't know if you want to speak specific location, but um, just kind of wondering where you're coming from. What's your, what's your situation these days? Portugal, okay. Um, so I have not been to Portugal uh, myself. It's one of the places on, near the top of my list that I would like to go. And I hear a lot of um, positive things regarding at least Bitcoin. Um, and it's, you know, the way the government looks at it, the way it's used in Portugal. But I was ho- hoping that uh, you could give us a bit of a rundown on what the scene is like there. Um, I think in terms of the, the government part is no different. It's, it's, there's a lot of talk, but on the ground, you don't really see it as a Bitcoiner. I guess people are as friendly towards Bitcoin as any other, sure in any other country. I don't think anybody outside of Bitcoin is really aware of that, of the importance or the relevance of those laws or sure, or even the inexistence of laws. Because uh, sometimes it's just like people have not written the rules yet. It doesn't mean that it's going to be like this forever. And also Portugal is really trying to attract as much people as possible. So it's trying to portray itself as like the little she's called paradise in the European Union, but... What's uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious, and I'm I have an idea of what the answer is already. But where does Portugal live on the on the scale of like fiat? Like where, how how deep is it into that world, or is it turning into clown world, or is it not noticed? Or I think is probably from from all the metrics that we've come to measure the performance of countries in the last couple of years, I think it would be ranking pretty low. Uh, this this uh, this this. This legislation or lack of legislation is not necessarily friendly towards Bitcoin. It's just like 
trying to bring more capital in, trying to attract, like, we have a lot of people coming from other places. Portugal is, is like, is a little bit like Florida in the US. A lot of people are, people are moving out of the cities in, in general, at least the people that can afford it. I think everybody's trying to, to go in a more localized way. When I, um, when I look at the, when I look at the news, international news, especially regarding Spain, it seems like a lot of instability going on in Spain right now. Um, is that, is any of that affecting Portugal? Is that spilling over politically, economically? Uh, how's that, how are you guys dealing with just the broader instability in, in Europe? I think it's doing fairly well, but, uh, I also, I also live in my little bubble. So I, I, I don't know, uh, it's weird to see Portugal now because there's so much uh, foreign influence in Portugal right now. The other day I was watching, I was in the street and seeing uh, MetLife uh, insurance, car, a car with MetLife insurance. This is not a company that used to operate in Portugal. Uh, uh, half the real estate uh, is catered towards the French market. The experience is all catered towards the American market. And we have the Germans that's kind of uh, do their thing and and then for the people in Portugal that actually have some money but then there's the whole other side of Portugal that is uh, experience what a lot of other co countries are experienced so it's hard to say it's, it's like you see it in the news then you see that it might affect you but then you also go around and you don't see it affecting but you also maybe you're just looking in the wrong places or right have you made it down to madeira i'm planning to but i haven't been there cool um what's you know what's your background like what uh what's your day job or like what did you study in school uh kind of leading up to what you're doing now has it any is it any of it related i think so yeah i think i think this is probably something that every Bitcoiner thinks at some point, but you start looking back to your your best and you see the evolution of your own story to reach whatever point you're at and you, you just see traces. Maybe they're the ones that uh, jump out because you're looking for them. But I go back to my old work. I went back to my childhood house and looking at the work I was doing uh, when I was young, work. It wasn't work. It was just like doodling. But... <clears throat> Uh, ever since to the work I was starting to to be interested in college, it all, it's like, I went to school, but just like basic uh, high school and had a very basic experience. And then I went to college for fi uh, fine arts, but with the, in the fine arts school, but uh, design communication course. And there was a, from the people I hanged out with, uh, I have a friend that we used to work together and he, he was the one that kind of introduced me to the power of uh, code. So we started using codes as much as possible in our graphic design work, trying to explore how to make stuff online, but also how to do other visualizations and then also to try to bring that back to the physical space and move that to the to pieces of paper and canvases. And it all based on some aspect of random number and line creation and kind of, it was very interesting because it's just something that was really fascinating at the time. And it wasn't even 
I was also just a part of a trend. It's not something that I was creating myself, but there was a, I think, an idea, a fascination over randomness at the time. And I just entered that wave. And now I see Bitcoin in, in all of that. But I think, and you think you, you probably can say that the same thing for you about your work and just. Right. The, the fascination with randomness and almost like this cross between, I don't know, technology or, or mathematics and art. Do you, do you see a broader connection between art and randomness or art and entropy or is, is art, is there trying to find an order or a pattern in the chaos sometimes? Is that how you think about it or no? I think, well, I think yeah. there's, there's a little bit of that, but I, I, I guess how you, how you define art is really the, the, the tricky part because right. I think there's a level of randomness in everything we do because even though we think we have a specific plan where our brain is twinkling with noise and we right. do mistakes, we stumble and we, we do happy mistakes. And sometimes, sometimes I'm drawing and I just do some squiggles and I try to see something and something emerges out of that randomness hmm. because it's just my mind trying to fill in the right the space. So, but we that's in everything you do when you're trying to sit down and trying to have an idea you're letting your randomness like you're running your cycles like a stupid AI and you you come up with ideas because of randomness so you um, it's when so sometimes when I'm thinking and it depends on the kind of what your your way of communicating your with your uh, with the rest of the world is right like some people are writers some people are artists some people are filmmakers, but you, when you're going through the creative process and you have all these ideas percolating through your mind, it's just chaos, right? And then sometimes you'll sit down and you'll try to encode those thoughts, those ideas, whether it's into an article or, uh, you know, a picture on canvas. And it's very difficult. You see, there's like, it's almost like when you wake up after having a dream and you had this like clear vision. And then the second you start to think about it more deeply or try to communicate it to somebody else, you start to lose that, that, that vision you had. And do you think, and it's, but when you are able to start putting something down on the screen or on the canvas, you're kind of giving yourself a visual aid or you're giving others a visual aid that they can start to use as kind of the foundation or like a, a tether to an idea that they can start building it on and they start building the idea in their head. Um, but I guess that kind of works for yourself as well, where you just start drawing or you just start creating and then you iterate from that point. Um, is that, do you always work that way or is it, kind of a is your creative process randomness and chaos as much as your art is randomness and chaos I don't know I I I guess I just I haven't really thought that much about it uh, I think it's it's like any other job it, it needs to be some 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 there needs to be some level of order so I need to uh, the same way that maybe you practice writing code or you practice uh, dealing with people, uh, you build a muscle memory that allows you to then, when you when you have everything else automatized, then you can go and creatively try out different things. But if you go creative code writing from the first line on without any knowledge of code writing, 
uh, your chaos your your chaos is just going to be chaos the same way that if i go out and try to like to produce and direct a, a full-blown movie with a full-blown team i need to get the experience first before yeah. or or bring in people with that experience right. that will control that environment so i so i can create a little bit of chaos over there and not go bankrupt hmm. yeah and, and as a coder it's um especially newer newer developers new engineers everybody uses what we call boilerplate and frameworks it is uh boilerplate's just standard code that you're going to always have to write it's kind of like building your you know when you're you look at those sketchbooks that teach people how to draw when you kind of draw the scales and the lines and then you erase those after you fill it in. But that's kind of what the boilerplate is in the framework. So it really is kind of common across um, different disciplines to have that um, that framework in place. But Mike, what were you going to ask? There's so many threads to tease out, especially I just want to mention, Pedro, you, you shared with us this uh, these maybe like 30 videos of your work um through the uh through the anatomy of bitcoin project and you mentioned something back there that said the power of code in art like how important that is i was curious uh if you can sort of tease that thread out a little bit like what what why is code so important in in the work um well i guess i think it depends on what your what your aim at work can be because if you're, if you're trying to produce something that's in a very physical realm you probably need to use different tools but i think code is just another tool to create things and with code you control machines and machines are very efficient at doing stuff so it's like uh, you don't have a brush you have a trillion brushes if you know if you know how to push the bits you know how to control the the color of the of the lens in the of the LED on the screens, then you can create uh, the images. And these days, there's the tools are so easy. Every anybody can be a, a filmmaker. The cameras are for, affordable. The, the you can organize on the online with the with screenwriters and everybody. So with code, you can automate automate as much as possible and that's just efficient. What I'm noticing about your work is, and you know, I think I'll, for the, the visual part, I think we'll throw some of this up. If you're okay with it, we'll throw some of this up on the YouTube release of this, just so we can get sort of a, maybe the whole episode will just be these, these clips that you've, uh, you've released just going. Um, but the, <clears throat> the thing that makes me think about is that you're, what this work is doing. And basically we're seeing like a black background with these, um, you know, 3D gray blocks or, you know, a variety of different sort of graphical elements coming together and demonstrating what the Bitcoin blockchain looks like, right? Am I well, am at I least sort as, of getting... as, as interpreted by the code jet generated that. So that's one way of looking at the, at the, at the data. Uh, I think it's the most accurate way only because it was made from the um, the the data itself, and mm. it's at least it's portraying that it went bit by bit and constructed those objects, and those objects were segmented and um, and laid out in space based on Bitcoin rules. So it's almost like 
you have Bitcoin Core and the Bitcoin Visualizer. This this would be you you inject Bitcoin data and it comes out geometry where so data can be art. Yeah, I mean it, it's deep. Art <laughs> art is always going to have contained data otherwise it's meaningful. Right. It's, it contains a lot of information. Art is probably the most uh, either data dense or data empty because uh, what the, nobody can agree what what's art, especially right. not now anymore. So what for you might be uh, just a piece of fruit for someone else might be a beautiful art piece. Uh, what what my question is is, and maybe you don't know this. Maybe you don't. Maybe this just is an, a byproduct of what you create, but how do you, how are you able to attach or create emotional, um, or an emotional reaction or emotional vibe to art that is based on data and a technology protocol? But it does like when you watch some of the little clips that you make, it's, there is an emotional reaction that you have to it. It's the way it's presented. And it's like you said, this is just, this is just data. This is just um, a product. The way a protocol works, kind of coming together on a visualization on a screen, but it evokes emotion. Thank you so much. That's exactly the goal. But I'll tell you that uh, it's just it's. I think it's two chips. One is uh, formally it's mimicking movies and films that you already seen and you already have a an emotional connection for it. Yes. And on the other hand, so that's the for the general filmic people. And on the other side, it has Bitcoin data that appeals to your Bitcoin side. Sure. So it, some people might just see the emotion because it's a bunch of uh, geometry forms moving in an abstract way, and they don't see the meaning in that. Other people might just say, ah, that's not the way the mimple works or something like that but they will maybe appreciate other parts of the project and some other people the people i think like me that love film and bitcoin uh are probably gonna like just sit down and watch this and i i watch it <laughs> i rewatch it all the time but uh it's just because it's interesting because even though it looks like noise if you understand why the blocks are in a certain way uh if you trust that the code I wrote follows the Bitcoin rules, you'll see the events of Bitcoin represented there. But you really need to look. So part of the aspect of that emotion comes from, and you kind of mentioned it, uh, the geometric shapes. like So beauty, things that are considered beautiful, symmetrical, um, fractal, geometric shapes, like these are when portrayed or when you see them in nature, when you see them on a screen, they uh, are beautiful. They, they they evoke that emotion because they're in harmony with uh, the properties of reality. And so is Bitcoin and its protocols. So I guess that makes sense that uh, data, which is in Pedro, harmony. are you hearing this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, data, which is in harmony with um, the the fundamental aspects of reality is can be beautiful and maybe that's another way of determining the difference between signal and noise is is the data is the information um is that source in harmony with reality or is it you know just chaos 
entropy. Absolutely, I, I agree. Um, I'm curious when, at what point did you find Bitcoin? When it like, what was your journey of discovering and uh, going down the rabbit hole? Uh, I, I've heard about it, and I did the the usual uh, shrugging it off. But then I was working on a project that involved uh, some research on the on the housing market crisis, on the foreclosure crisis. And part of that research was just like compiling a bunch of uh, articles and, and critique online, which made me just because some of these required actually going through the comments section of the articles. So I saw some uh, really great stuff, but I had no idea and links to videos and stuff. So from there, went on to the the gold, silver shit stuff. And, and then I I found Bitcoin. I, I did trying to buy it, to losing, and then I fell for some scams. I, I, I went through, actually, a shitcoin phase. And then... Uh, what and year then was day, it that you found it, that you started buying it? I don't like remember a, exactly. So it wasn't uh, like two years ago. It's been, it's been a while. No, no, no. It's been a while. It's it's sometimes I, I this happens all the time. I hear I hear people coming into Bitcoin and it's like, wow, this is ridiculous. This person just entered Bitcoin two months ago and it already has this gigantic, amazing uh, reach. And I've been the uh, here not really putting anything out there, um, but also. Um, there's there's a component of uh, really that I really like because uh, some people will give their face and they become very influential, but they also become uh, the target of a lot of stuff. And it's it's interesting because sometimes uh, the anonymity it's actually it's a blessing sometimes. So I'm always living right. in this in this question to myself, uh, not to say that I could, but if I really wanted to be famous, could I, is this something that I should try to be or not, or try to actually counter that and, or stay neutral? I think Interesting. The, what was the, what was the aspect of Bitcoin that really stuck out to you and attracted you to it? Um, for some people, it's just number go up, right? And that at least gets you interested in it and gets you buying it. But what was the aspect of it that really kind of like rocked you? And you're like, oh, this is this is something where you kind of realize I'm this is going to be very important, and I got to really study this more and 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 make this a bigger part of my life. I think it was the the like maybe the freedom means the because I I went. I ended up in the in the like the end of feds uh, corners of the internet, and realizing that oh okay it's bunker life and silver trading for the rest of my life with some, maybe some liquor and some bullets, uh, and then I thought wait uh, but this is the incompatible lifestyle in Portugal so it's just gonna be uh, chaos it's gonna and Bitcoin was the the only thing that was serving 
that that sides of the the ideology that I guess I was developing, but it also had a little bit of a, a more positive uh, outlook, and I guess that that, that positivity because I I consider I was accused by a lot of people of being very negative, and at the, at the time I I, I I can't I couldn't I couldn't disagree, and. It was because I was um, I liked what I did, but I, my 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 objective in life were very fiat, and I wasn't very successful, and I was resentful a little bit, and and it was just like very competitive, not competitive in terms of like high high performance, but just competitive in terms of people trying to get into other people's positions and always like any any business, I think, and and that I, I think. View, viewing how people in Bitcoin worked, um, just looking towards working towards freedom and a little bit more positive uh, was the thing that started attracting me the most. Even though there's probably a lot of like negative people in Bitcoin. Right, of course. What? Um, how do you think this transition uh, becoming more positive? Uh, how do you think that has changed or shown through in your art and the things that you create? Do you see more positivity in what you create? Was there more, was the stuff that you created prior to this point in your life darker, more cynical? I don't know. There might be some cynicism on the, on the stuff that, that I've been working on uh, lately, but, uh, I think so. I don't know if the positivity, the positivity part was a little bit of a reinforce uh, positive feedback because I think when you start to really like Bitcoin and then you're working outside of Bitcoin, uh, either you don't go to sleep because you're working five hours after work on Bitcoin, and that probably puts you in a bad mood because you have to work eight to ten hours on your other job that doesn't allow you to focus on Bitcoin. And it can get really, really annoying. I think if you suddenly realize that you don't want to, you hate your job, not because of what you do, but what you do it for. And you think that you're working, you're using your skill to build build your prison, like you're digging your own grave. And that puts you in a bad mood, I guess. So when you release yourself a little bit from that, you... Obviously, you'll need to to do it strategically because you don't want to go bankrupt in doing that. So you have to probably go to the next industry that's gonna help you out, which probably is the Bitcoin industry or the Bitcoin market or whatever you want to call it. And that is where all the people that have a positive outlook in general are. So I think that's and then. I think that only reflects on uh, on the work because I it gives me motivation to keep doing stuff because even though the the projects I work in they don't have a ton of reach at least the the people they reach uh, they seem to to like it enough to at least like give some some feedback or uh, talk about it on a podcast or work together in trying to propagate it somehow you had Tomic on. Uh, Tomek has been a great help with the film festival in uh, just 
helping put the idea of the film out. And I believe that if we ever get any funding, it's probably going to come from uh, from some relationship that we we develop together or some kind of presentation. Because what I love to do is to sit in my computer and ask other people to write parts of the code to, to then integrate with Bitcoin and then put in Blender, ge- generate the geometry and then pass it on to to, like, to people like uh, Richard that then include it in their uh, videos. And then instead of showing some generic uh, AI portrayal of Bitcoin, you're actually seeing the, the real Bitcoin. It's, and it's the level of detail that maybe will make the people try to figure out what exactly was, why was that difficulty adjustment wider than the previous one? And then maybe, oh, that's at the end of the chain. Maybe that was when China uh, banned mining. And and because if you base it on real data, that data is meaningful for somebody somewhere at some point. Yeah, people, when they first see it, they don't know what they're looking at, but it's the nature of it makes them curious and want to look harder and deeper and want to know more. I think you pointed out something that's just so so important about your work is that uh, you are basically communicating visually to people who, you know, like myself, a lame person who can't, I could read, it doesn't matter how many lines of code I could read. It's not, I wouldn't understand a single lick of it. And I can look at your work and I'm, and I see Bitcoin like working in front of me. And it's just, it's so cool. But I, I think, I think if you gave yourself the chance, you would understand the code. You might not, so you might you might be a good reader of books, but you might not be a good writer. But the code is just you can read. It's logic. For instance, the the yeah, it's like uh, if you can do Sudoku. I I I don't write codes very well, but I can read codes because what I the, the only thing I have really I think is is the time to go deep into the night and actually look at documentation and see what something does if. But that's just because uh, I like Bitcoin and I want to understand what I'm running. But if I can do it, you can also do it. It's, it. It is. It implies learning. It's like you can teach yourself to speak French. You you choose to do other things because you can't monetize speaking French. But it's not a special skill, I don't think. It just takes loving it and be persistent. Does the... That's, no, that's, I just want to say that is true. Uh, However, it making that synthesis between uh, creating a movie or creating visuals and then tying that into the Bitcoin space, I think that's that's a skill that not many people can really tune into. You know, that that's a very specialized skill. Hopefully, this project aims at making that more available in making all these files open source. So you can actually, as a filmmaker that's interested in maybe uh, 3D generated graphics, you can go and tweak the codes to adapt this to your vision of Bitcoin. But for that, it pays to know a little bit of code and have, because you need to trust my, right now I'm exporting, I'm extracting the code, the data with my code. So I might have made a mistake or maybe I'm misrepresenting something. It's like reading a script. Uh, you need you. You don't go to a shoot without reading the script, uh, and 
what what this film aims at is that you write the scripting code and the cubes are your I just want to ask that, that gives us I, I just want to get into like a little bit about the overview of the project itself. I mean, we've we've touched upon it in a bunch of little ways, but can you just give us like a what this thing is and uh, what it means to have like an open open source film, you know? And how can people contribute to it? Thank you. That's a good question too. The idea is to is to mimic Bitcoin in every way into creating what could potentially be either a film or a series or right now it's just clips that are put out as show. So try to mimic also everything the way Satoshi did it. So right now we have this, um, let me show you, we have this book, uh, which is the source code of Bitcoin version one. And we just try to understand, we look at parts of the codes and uh, try to convert that into rules that we write the code to control geometry. And that geometry is going to be used to control a model of the network, the same way your node sees it. Right now we're trusting other people data, but it's Bitcoin data. Then we zoom into the nodes, we watch the programs and the the routines that the node does and represent that geometrically with, with the bits moving in lines and in, in structured ways. And then that data goes ultimately to the blockchain that forms organized with the rules of Bitcoin with a, a block per 10, 10 minutes, goes on in a spiral of 2016 blocks. And then those spirals stack to make a circle of a helix, a full rotation of a helix to create a housing. And then it just keeps on coiling and then you each block has a, an outer cube that represents the one megabyte limit. And inside there's a, a flexible size geometry that is based on the size of data that goes into that block. And from that, you can see that every time it overlaps or overflows that one megabyte block, it's because now there's SegWit witness data or ordinal, ordinal inscriptions added to that block, which is something that I was not surprised, but uh, it was funny to see the effect of ordinals in this in this model. That was then you I, go, that, that was yeah. going to be my question. Does the does ordinals inscriptions does this change in the use or the behavior of how it's you're using the blockchain and blocks? Has it made the art better? Has it perverted it? Like, is that open for interpretation? <laughs> so imagine, imagine, imagine you have a. Imagine you have, the, I've heard this metaphor, you have this beautiful wall built by everybody and sometimes somebody goes in and uh, makes a graffiti on it. He might not like it, some people like it. I, the way I see it, I'm just taking a picture. So I'm taking the picture of the whole wall. So it's gonna, if it's there, it's there. Uh, so it's, for me, I love the drama because it gives my, my model a little bit more interest, but it makes it also broke break, it broke all my notes uh, because I have poor infrastructure. But uh, it, it, I don't like it. I I I try to manage my lightning nodes. I have problems with the high fees. I I want to. I'm doing Bitcoin stuff here, and I can't because there's too many JPEGs. But in the end, 
it created a, an interesting image. How, um, how can other people learn more about this technology that you're using and, and how to write the code and how to create the contribute to this project? Where would they start? I guess. I think you, you, you would start by asking yourself, do you like to make a movie? And then if the answer is yes, uh, if you like to contribute to a movie, that's pretty much all 3d animation. And if you have experience or interest in producing something like that, and the production of that involves either recruiting more 3D animators, uh, writing codes to fetch data from the, the, the chain or the network or the nodes, or uh, do research on how to map SHA-256 into a path of bits in the, in the 3D space, it's it's really up for grabs. Um, I'm I work on a little bit of all of this, and my my background is just design. So uh, anybody can produce stuff. Anybody can, but I know that there are specialists out there that probably do it much better than I do. Well, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Was you mentioned you're like, oh, I'm not the best coder. Um, but so as in my experience as a software engineer, if you, you can write, you know, a web app or a, a, a website, for example, um, and the skill that you have in coding can be a wide range, but at the end of the day, the end product, when you load the screen, it can look very nice. Even if the code behind it is garbage, the more you interact with it and the more you, uh, get to use it and you start to notice the user experience. Maybe it's slower. Maybe it's, um, the, the, you know, you move your screen around and the, the elements on the screen aren't, uh, responsive and it's janky and there's, there's just problems in the code. And so bad code at a glance, um, can look really good. The more you use it, bad code becomes more apparent. So I'm wondering with, with the stuff you're doing, if your code is maybe not the best, but the outcome is the same as like a really well-written uh, script. Does that, can you tell in the, in the final product uh, who had the better code, for example, or is that kind of abstracted away? So the code, I have two, two types of code. I have the code that fetches information from the, the nodes and usually returns a JSON with the data formatted my way, because that's how I think, at least at the time, it's useful. And it's usually by block or by node or by whatever. And then what I do then on Blender, which is an open source 3D software, it has a little tab, you open it up, you can write Python there. And you you start by importing the, the, the Python library native to the project that has basically anything you can do with the mouse, you can automate with codes and I'm just writing take this block duplicate it add a material to make it white go over there frame one and I'll be over there frame two with some rotation to make it a little bit cooler now create another block create another eight blocks like that black and then introduce one for the first version of the block and then you keep going and you animate the block is not that complex uh, 
it's the Bitcoin part that's because I have some numbers there that could be arbitrary if you don't understand Bitcoin. Like why 2016 blocks? Why why are the loops divided in this way? Uh, and so again, it's you don't need to really read the code. Now, my code is complicated because I'm learning as I go. And it's I would love for someone to come and optimize it because every time sometimes I move it from my from one machine. I, I work in a, in a laptop and then I move it to the to a Linux machine where I, I can do much higher processing and it fails because it loads the file in the wrong path or there's an extra there's long formatting and and I don't remember I have classes I have redundancy that I didn't I was afraid to remove but then it's so I have all these bad habits that an engineer would make it faster and make it make it faster more efficient running the code because this code actually takes time to run. I just rebuilt the blockchain recently and it took three days to to take the data from the... I need to go and take the data back, update my data, my index, and then run each block, position it, and at some point the blocks, they have a lot of geometry. They're not just like... I try to simplify as much as possible, but at the end, you have a lot of data in one single scene. Because I'm trying to map everything, uh, but it's I this this is just a, a convoluted way to say that the code is not that complex. Uh, you can it's the syntax probably not the syntax, but the overall structuring of the program that is not very very good. Do do you have? Do you have a, you said you, you were a fine arts student or a fine arts major. Well, I was a, a communication design student, ah, but in, um, it's in the fine arts school, which gave me a little, it, it influenced me a little bit towards more of the intellectual side of the, the fine arts, like academia, because I had friends that went to other schools and it was more, it was more market driven, which was better in a way, but also didn't give them a little bit more of the heady uh, philosophical outlook, at least not in school. They they still got it, but they had to go out to look themselves. Yeah, how, how did you just, how, how does that sort of art background tie into your discovery of Bitcoin? I, I was curious about your, the discovery of it. I, I think it's, it's, I was very lucky because my father had the background in architecture. My, I, I'm, a, I'm the youngest. That's, sorry, that's a, that's my my father's old metal uh, ruler that just fell. Uh, my, I'm the youngest of a big group of siblings. Some of them very connected to the art world and the architectural worlds, uh, and somehow also to the political and the fiat world. So. I'm just very lucky that I, I was exposed to a wide range of things, but the, the thing that uh, marked me the most was um, just art in general, starting with the, with the really classical stuff that my father uh, showed me and pushed me a lot, and then going to, to fine art school and basically the big rejection of all of that like a gigantic swing. And I was, I think I was always accused of being very impressionable, very easy to influence. And I, I almost 
I agree and I embrace it because um, I've made a lot of changes and it's been, I've been very lucky that none of my changes were fatal and I'm here for now and it's not that bad. So, but yeah, uh, I, I think it also, I was, sorry, I was just going to say that it also allows me to then have listened to conversations like the ones you have in this podcast and actually be open to them. But because there's the, the food, I, I, I think great movements start with philosophers that then write stuff that then other people pick up and write music and other people pick up, write poetry, blah, blah, blah. And the chain goes down until now. I think the, the logical step for anybody to do a film about Bitcoin is to take the Bitcoin data and animate it in a film form. Yeah. It's the, just so obvious. Th I think when a lot of people first hear about, or they first start learning about Bitcoin, it maybe it's boring outside of the price action, right? Because it's just this, you know, at the surface, very complicated code, this, uh, this computer software that it's like, I don't understand this. Like, I don't, I got all these scripts, all this Merkle trees, cryptography. It's, it's very hard to wrap your mind around if you don't have that kind of background and that kind of training. But it seems like if we mentioned this in previous podcasts, like it doesn't matter where you're approaching Bitcoin from what perspective, right? Like you can use your perspective to learn about it. And what you're doing is using uh, a passion for art and design and uh, communication through art and design um, and technology um, and film. And by incorporating that, you know, Bitcoin into your work, right? Like this is how you are learning about Bitcoin. I mean, you were learning it at a very intimate, very deep level by approaching it from your perspective, from your expertise, from the way you understand the world, uh, because Bitcoin is part of the world. It is part of the properties of reality. So you can approach it and learn about it from any perspective. And I, so I, I think that this is for people who are artists or, or less, maybe technically inclined, at least in their own mind, it, you can, it sounds like you can find pretty quickly that that's not the case because now you're coding. You went to school for art and now you're coding. But I, I think there's a fair amount of people that are interested in codes and, uh, sure. and art. And I, I for instance, I, I talked uh, recently to Fractal Encrypt and he's, he, he has not only interest, but some uh, control over codes. I don't know to which extent, but from what I, he, he explained it maybe even more than me. Uh, no, no offense if it's like a lot more than me. Uh, but in the end, I think we're all just doing what what we are meant to do once we move on to working for Bitcoin, which is take everything you learned and say, how can I not have wasted any time of my life and apply every single thing that I learned in school, in uh, kindergarten, in college, in in my first year of my job, my fifth, my tenth year doing stuff, and how can you apply? It? And you can you can choose to make a movie, you can choose to make an app, you can choose to go open a ranch and make an app. Yeah, right. You can do anything, really. Yeah, and I nobody think who was going to teach you that. Yeah, right. Um, my guy yeah. Well, I thought that was interesting. The I never even thought about this relationship between your work and Fractal Encrypt's work. And if they're, because I'm not, I'm I'm familiar with like 
the the what it, what his stuff looks like, but I'm not familiar like wh if it actually means something if how it turns or you know yeah it's a it's a node ah and I guess your work is also sort of speaking to that in a way I think there's there's definitely some I cannot it there's definitely some inspiration from because I've seen his stuff and I love his stuff so um the purity of the concepts that he uses. I, I would say, I hope I, I don't misinterpret his work, but I think his work is uh, more symbolic and more contained because he's dealing with the physical object. I have no limitation for space. I can do, I can tell the computer, just you're going to work for a week and you're going to do me this stuff. And there's no, he's, he's dealing with, he needs to compress it down to yeah. something that goes into the level of a, the beat or the laser cutter that he's using. I yeah. have the precision of atoms, which he also does because he's doing with physical atoms, but my atoms. Yeah. There's it, so much more information behind the art, everything he's building upon. Whereas you're able to abstract it all the way down to just the, the digital information without the constraints of the physical other than your compute power, I guess. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to explain things in a super literal way, and I think what Fractal Encrypt is trying to do, he needs to to abstract stuff. Like for instance, he he will potentially represent a couple of blocks that represent a couple of blocks. Uh, the blocks I'm representing are always a block. It's always a block number with a specific size, because I I can specify that, because I can do. How many ever, how many blocks I want, and uh, so that's potentially what also makes it uh, uh, different to understand. Uh, also, um, like what Fractal Encrypt did was the also the research that enabled me to to understand what I should be focusing on. For instance, he, he also did big descriptions of the 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 thought behind his work. And I even take the reference from that to to also then open up to the process of my work. So we can develop our work in in parallel, or at least that's how I see it. Did, Dan, did you have any? Because I want to hop in something else. But No, go ahead. I was going to um, ask him to show, his, show where you uh, can find him, but... I, I I was a, a little bit curious as to um, the sort the the trajectory of this anatomy of of a Bitcoin uh, project, sort of where you see the vision going. Yeah, when when I when I first started, I thought that I'm going to have a full movie on Netflix in a year, and it's been uh, three years, and I realized that I don't even have the power in my computer to actually render the U2XL set along in the same file as the as the blockchain. So I'm learning that also the market is a lot more resistant to new ideas than I estimated. <laughs> new, not new ideas, my ideas at least. Uh, and it's very hard to sell stuff in uh, to a crowd that's being yelled at from all sides about Bitcoin and everything else. Uh, so who knows where this goes? I'm I'm trying to I work on it, and anybody can work on it. If you see any interest, and if you 
if you go out and look at the images that were generated and if you agree with them and if you think that you yourself want to have a film that you can watch with your family or with your friends, you can either uh, send money, which will be used to hire other people and maybe to pay render times and other stuff. And, or you can just reach out and we can create a timeline and say, hey, we're going to try to pitch it to these people and try to pitch it to that people. And then there's people that have already done that. So I really appreciate everybody that's contributed somehow to to the project. But um, the, the goal would be to at some point get somebody to actually put some real money that can be maybe you, you can have someone producing it for real, like taking money and paying some some animators and a, a writer to actually, who's going to write, there's going to be ideally a voiceover that explains a little bit, so it's not all completely mysterious. That's text that needs to be written by a Bitcoiner. Um, it needs to be then uh, recorded with a voiceover and it needs to be edited uh, and even directed. Like You need to control the camera as much as... M- as much in the 3D space as you do in the... There's lighting, there's uh, emotion and uh, ambience that that's, takes some real filmmaker to make. I'm just following YouTube videos of people that say, hey, if you do this, you, do, you create this idea, this sensation. and uh, But, yeah. Um, well, if you are um, if you're a software engineer, we will have your GitHub link in the show notes so they can uh, look at the code and see how they can help optimize it. Um, and we'll have your socials and and some of the other relative uh, relevant links in there. But before we go, um, just wanted to give you an opportunity to, I guess, shill your like where where people can find you, where you kind of want to emphasize um, the first you know introduction into into this project and where you would send people. I would go to anatomyofbitcoin.com. That's where all the projects are. And there's also some some supporting research uh, about it. And and yeah, consider donating either publicly or anonymously. And just think that that you talk a lot about film in this podcast. And I always keep thinking that the fiat films will always have funding. Because their their message is so important to keep the fiat culture alive that the fiat will fund. Like those studios will yeah. get the loans, those studios will get the whatever subsidies. At some point, they will be granted money directly from the treasury. Maybe not in America, but in other countries. The CIA same is behind films. The same thing needs to happen in Bitcoin. Uh, and maybe not for this project, but if someone needs it, some people will have to pony up some money at some point. That's a very um, good point, Pedro. Very good point. That's true that the Bitcoin films of the future, I think, have to be financed by Bitcoiners, of course. If you, you can't, you can't, you can't be opposed to fiat art and not. So, if you have a bunch of Bitcoin, uh, it needs to be thrown be thrown around. Otherwise, uh, the starving artist will starve. <laughs> they will starve. Uh, I, just before you know we have a little bit of time left but just before we go is there anything you wanted to touch on today you know that we didn't touch on or is there anything you've been thinking about recently that you wanted to bring up before we wrap up 
And if you don't, then that's okay too. Well, I can, I can, if you, if you don't mind, I can talk a little bit about, about a, a different project that I've yeah. been working on that's Please related. Yeah. Uh, so I went, I went to a Bitcoin conference in Azores and I met up with a, a, another Bitcoiner that's also Portuguese and we worked together on this project that emerged from that meeting in a Bitcoin conference in the middle of an island, not Madeira, but even smaller. And uh, it's called uh, the project is called Chain Dual, which is this uh, dual of chains. It mimics the 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 snake game, and the the goal is to you have a LN URL, you deposit money, the other opponent deposit money, you play this game. The rewards equal set that you steal from the other player. The longer your chain grows, the more sets you steal from your other player. The game ends, you double or nothing, or you take the Bitcoin out. And we've been taking these two conferences, and it's been a very, really, really well received by Bitcoiners. And now we're working on implementing a bunch of new features, like instead of paying a LN URL, you pay uh, a Noster Zap. And it, it records this on Noster. It also captures the image of the, the player. So now you can have games competing for sets. And sometimes you go to a big amount of sets. We've had, right? There was a tournament in Riga with 800,000 sets. And in, um, uh, where was it? In Lugano, there was also a big tournament. And we were moving this around in, in the conference circles and uh it's been really it creates a really nice atmosphere because I, what i see what i've learned is i've seen a lot of people use bitcoin paying a, lo a lot of big names that don't even carry lightning wallets that have to download the lightning wallet to play the game kids getting adults for a big amount of sets their first sets have been earned playing this game and it also has it takes all the rules of Bitcoin and applies it to the state game and brands the whole experience with Bitcoin themed stuff. So it's a, it's a way to interactively understand Bitcoin because the rules of Bitcoin are also present in the rules of the game because you're growing your chain, you're trying to capture the Coinbase, the next block is on a random position um, and then you're competing for the longest chain. The goal of the game is always the longest chain steals the most. And it's really fun. And if you ever see it in a conference or if you if you run a a meetup in a bar and you want to play it there, uh, we've had a couple of tries like that and it's been really successful. Nice. Well thanks for um thanks for coming on and talk to us today. Um we definitely want to stay updated on this uh and i'm going to definitely take a look at the code i haven't used python in a while maybe brush up on some of my skills and see where i can maybe contribute to some of the efficiency of some of that um some of the yeah the that's our issue if, if you ever have um, a part of the of the protocol that you would like visualized the yeah, data can sure. always like you can always convert it to to geometry instead of a line in a, right. in a chart Interesting. Yeah, this is. I have a lot to think about regarding this because thinking about learning about the protocol through 
visualization that because I'm a visual learner and I think that I, it can benefit a lot of people um, who are also visual learners to understand without just looking at the lines of code. I, I would love to, to have more contributions for sure. It would be amazing. Cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Um, Mike, did you have any parting words? No, no. Okay. Thank you again for listening to the High Hash Rate Podcast with Dan and Mike. If you want to learn more about the podcast and see what we're up to, you can find us at highhashrate.com. Or if you just want to speak to a couple of baked 80 IQ plebs, reach out to us at hello at highhashrate.com. Or you can reach out to us at the High Hash Rate handle on X. Later, everybody. Holy Toledo!